So we are going through unprecedented times right now. And this is also the time in which we can make fundamental shifts. I couldn't be happier to bring you today's guest because this is exactly what he focuses on and has done for 14 years. This was probably my all-time favorite interview of the year so far. And in it, you are going to learn how to have a fundamental shift, the power of identity shifting, how to hack happiness and ultimately be happy in the moment. We talked about how to create profound change without willpower and how to break through subconscious limiting beliefs. We actually discussed just so many awesome things, including why my new book, Suck It Up Princess, is actually the perfect analogy of how you can change state and make a shift and how it's one of the most powerful tools you can use to coach yourself and make significant change in your life. So if you've been feeling a little down, if you've been feeling really uncertain, if you've been feeling anxiety, if you've been feeling stressed, if you're feeling a little hopeless, if you're feeling opportunistic, if you're feeling hopeful, if you are wanting to use this time right now when the world is literally changing before our eyes to do something meaningful, to make changes in your own life and to create more purpose, this is by far and away the interview for you. Hey, I'm Natalie Sisson, a Kiwi, best-selling author, speaker, podcaster, vlogger, and business coach dedicated to helping you tap into your potential and get paid to be you. So my guest today is Rob Scott, who is a personal development coach and has been for over 14 years. He's a self-made with an incredibly successful business. He's overcome abuse, addiction, cancer, and so much more. And this story and our conversation has definitely sparked some really beautiful insights for me, and I hope so for you as well. So he's helped thousands of people to make fundamental shifts and live better lives and be their best selves. So without further ado, here's the interview with Rob Scott. Rob Scott, so good to have you on the Untapped podcast. Hi, thanks for thank having you. me. Yeah, thank you for being here. First off, I have to ask you the question, how do you tap into potential and get paid to be you? Uh, that's a really, there could, I guess there might be a short answer to that. There's kind of, <laughs> I mean, there's a very long answer to that. I mean, I think the short story is I went through a lot of tough things as a younger guy, figured out a few things, uh, long, long, long ago when podcasting started, I started a podcast like back in 2005 Oh wow! and people all over the world started asking me for coaching about that. So I, I'd, I'd figured out some useful things that people wanted help with. And so for about 14 years now, I've been full-time coaching people and building everything from group programs to digital products to, you know, I don't really do individual sessions anymore, but I used to do that quite a bit. And so, yeah, just built that up. And it's the most fulfilling, most fun, best thing I've ever done in my life. And, you know, I get to do it from home and anywhere in the world, I can move around or travel and still do everything that I'm doing. So it's very nice. That was beautifully summarized so succinctly. Thank you for being so straight up with that. So let's dive a little bit more into your story because obviously what you coach on is is super important and it's come a lot from your background and history. So if if you're up for sharing that story, I think it'll set the context for listeners. Um, And if you've been doing this for 14 years and it's so purposeful and you love it, there's there's really something in there that I want to see dig into. But yeah, first off, a little bit more context about, you know, how you got into coaching. Yeah, so I was I was brought up in a pretty dysfunctional family. There was a lot of addiction. There was somebody in my life that my parents would leave me to babysit with for years. And I ended up getting really badly sexually abused from the ages of about three to about eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a repeated really bad situation that was violent and disgusting and really, really horrible. And so I didn't get the safety and the nurturing that we would hope a child receives. And I ended up really emotionally damaged, really mentally damaged, physically damaged. I started drugs and alcohol when I was seven. Wow. Um, I was allowed to smoke in my house at age 10. (laughs) You know, like it was, uh, it was. And so as I look at nephews and people that are younger in my life and they're now adults, but like when they were seven, I remember seeing them and going like, whoa, that's, I can't believe kind of how young I was when all that stuff was going on. So I ended up not really showing up for school. Like I was basically just surviving and I was really very damaged. And I ended up uh, in my teens and early 20s 
heavily drug addicted to heavy, bad things. I ended up out in the world, uh, homeless. I was in and out of institutions and jails and halfway houses and rehabs and all the stuff. And yeah, so like pretty much as rough as like lots of people around me died, lots of suicide, lots of other kinds of death. And so I ended up having my company's now called Fundamental Shift. I really had this enormous wake up experience that was based on my own dissection of like what what's going on here what's happening and what i really woke up to in a huge oversimplification uh, i just saw that i was carrying a lot of the story of being a victim and being bad and being not enough and being all these different things and i wondered what would change if i put that down like if i just made that my foundational principle of to not carry this sense of self that was really patterned into me and I decided to change that and literally just removing the negative without even putting positive in, just removing the negative. I went from homeless to vice president of technology at a company in just a handful of years. So I went wow. from like temp in the basement of a, of a place, you know, filing papers in a, in a dark basement to different levels of leadership up the chain really, really quickly. And in the middle of that, I got really sick with cancer. So I almost died uh, from getting <laughs> cancer. So I ended up out of that, you know, pretty established, fairly financially successful. I had a big house, beautiful partner that I was living with at the time and everything seemed fine. And people came to me and they're like, well, when are you going to write your book? Like, this is, Mm -hmm. you know, this is amazing. Look at what you've accomplished. And I really felt like I hadn't begun yet because while I had solved a few things for myself, I had a lot I felt like I needed to share. And so I started this podcast and I ended up just sharing things and people all over the world. I'm here in the United States, but in Japan and Australia and Canada and all over the States started asking me, how do I work with you? And I sort of, I dismissed it for a while. And I actually met with a friend of mine who was um, also my chiropractor. And I told him, he was listening to my podcast also. I told him people were asking me for coaching and he goes, I'd hire you right now. I'd love to work mm-hmm. with you. And I was like, what's wrong with you? And I didn't know enough about him personally, but you know, he's like, my marriage isn't what I want it to be. This business isn't what I want it to be. And so we dug in. And as soon as we started, I knew that not only, I mean, this is just what I'd been doing since I was a little kid, right? So like when yeah. I was teeny and my parents were dysfunctional, I was the one going like, couldn't we look at it like this? And what if we did this? And you know, like, so, and it's, I think it's the mm-hmm. whole reason I was successful in management in the corporate world, right? I, I was really good at getting people to change and shift and, and do that stuff and, you know, rewind back to that, that corporate time, I ended up with a line of people outside my office coming in almost mm-hmm. more for therapy or coaching or something else. Like they weren't even in my department and things were running smoothly enough in my department that I had the time. And so that was all happening kind of at the same time. So anyway, this guy was a connector and this chiropractor and he got an incredible result. He started sending everybody he knew to me. And before he knew it, I had this huge coaching business going. And so I left the corporate world to do it full time. And I've just been doing it for years now and absolutely love it. Wow. Yeah, that is an incredible story. But also I just so many things that I'd love to unpack. And I do just have to note here that you started podcasting in 2005. Like, yeah, I didn't stick with it. Wow. I mean, big, biggest mistake I ever made was stopping that probably in 2007 or something. Back oh, then. It, wow. would have been, it would have been enormous. Yeah, I, I imagine. I mean, you, you think. But yeah, it was, but... There, there weren't very many people putting stuff out and there weren't that many people listening, but a lot of the people listening somehow found me. And so I had, I had a big following back then, yeah. which was really, really nice. And I didn't know what podcasting was going to become at the time. So I ended yeah. up stopping to do other things. and. Yeah, but now you get to be on people's podcasts and that I think is even more powerful, right? Like having one for yourself is fantastic because people get to know, like, and trust you. But then also turning up on other people's podcasts is a perfect way to like get exposure and into the hearts and minds of people. So it's so funny because that podcast still is out there. So that's still getting downloads and is there from a million years ago. And there's another one I did a few years ago that's a, a series of episodes on mindset. And then I have a current one now that we're doing pretty regularly called The Rob Scott Show, which is really fun. So nice. uh, I'm definitely in that space. But I think yeah. that uh, if I had been continued, continued to do that, it would have just been a great platform. And what's ironic was at the time I was like, oh, what do I need to do to get clients? It was like I left that to figure out how to get clients. And, and it was like, no, that would be ultimately the best way to, to get clients long term and, and was already the best way to get them. So Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, I do just want to ask a few personal questions because obviously a huge part of who you are has come from the experiences you had and the, and the upbringing that you sure. had or didn't have, it sounds like. I mean, I just have to ask, where the heck were your parents and all of this? I mean, were they 
coping with their own stuff and this is how this happened or was this was there a fundamentally solid family there before a lot of this happened no there was i don't i wouldn't say we were a a fundamentally solid family there was a divorce (laughs) early there was some addiction quite honestly in hindsight some immaturity and some just not maybe not ready to be good parents in a certain Mm -hmm. way you know that said my mom gave me a ton of love you know my dad was pretty difficult now i have phenomenal relationships with both of them i've Mm -hmm. done a lot of forgiving and stuff, but there was a lot of dysfunction. There was just a lot of dysfunction around. And I don't think parents had the same tools back then. There wasn't the same size self-help section of the bookstore. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there just wasn't as much information. And I'm not sure that we have it exactly right now. You know, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of helicopter parenting that's maybe not letting children have tough enough lives to build resilience and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think we're bouncing back and forth and we're getting better at it over time. And I love my parents very much, but yeah, there was a lot of dysfunction and a lot of difficult things going on there. Um, They didn't know about it. And once they knew about it, um, I mean, I was threatened that I would be killed if I told anybody, like all that crazy stuff. And so I hid it. I came up with a very clever way, I thought at the time to help them discover it. Uh, When they finally did discover it, Uh, my parents had been divorced. So I was going back and forth between their homes and my mom completely cut it off. My dad, sadly enough, didn't. I don't know that he believed it was happening or, you know, I wasn't old enough to really understand all the communication that was happening about it. But I ended up being sent back a couple of times after I thought he knew about it. So yeah, so it was that broke trust with him and I, and you know, all kinds of different stuff that was really difficult. But my um, kids should have to go through that ever. I mean, I really take my hat off to you for the forgiveness part, because I know that that is for so many people that I've spoken to who have been through trauma or abuse in their life like that is probably the only solution I know from them that works truly mm-hmm. deeply for you to be able to resolve things and come through this. But yeah, I just know kids should go through that ever. Yeah. And as somebody who had a pretty idyllic childhood upbringing, I used to sometimes feel, it sounds so odd, I used to, I wouldn't say I felt guilty about it, but when I look back, I was like, that wasn't actually normal at all. In fact, most mm-hmm. people that I knew at the time sort of had family upsets or divorce or things happening. Um, and so I'm truly grateful for that, that my parents seemed to get it right. Like it wasn't perfect, but my goodness, it was like all the love in the world and all the opportunities in the world and just yeah. time to be a kid. Um, mm. So yeah, hats off to you for, I guess, being so honest and open with that experience and bringing it to the world and then helping others to make these shifts. And yeah. I'd, I'd love to delve into that now because I assume you didn't really have any formal coaching qualifications. It just was innate skill within you. And I think when you've had that many life experiences and shifted through them and worked through it yourself, I mean, you know, I don't think you need any qualifications like that as the life experience that people need. But I would love to ask you, greatest question actually, how do you get people to make fundamental shifts? Because this is the I wouldn't say the bane of my life, but something that I feel I do well sometimes, but I see these repeating patterns where I just don't have the tools or capability in my skill set yet to be able to help people make those shifts. And honestly, they have to make the shift themselves. But I'd love to know what is a fundamental shift to you and how do you help people make that? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's, there's times where I would lean very heavily on they have to do it themselves, but we're all affecting each other all the time. So it doesn't always just happen from yourself. You know, if somebody Mm -hmm. comes up and punches you in the face, they've changed you quite a bit, right? Whether so, uh, (laughs) that's a stark example. Yes. (laughs) Right. But you know, just to make the point, right. It's, it's, we're not, we're not completely on our own and and doing our own work. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, somebody can plant an idea in your head that blows your whole life up. You know, it can, it can, it can shatter your worldview in a huge way. And so, Underneath what's going on, we're meaning-making creatures. And so I developed something that I call identity shifting, which is a lot of us have a sense of self that we didn't consciously manifest at all. It's sort of taken on by default, and it's very much influenced by safety strategies and how to protect against that time we were really embarrassed when we were 13 and someone called us fat, or we learned that it's not safe to go talk and put because we felt really uncomfortable and somebody laughed at us in a, in a speech in you know, eighth grade or whatever. And so we're building these things up and then we think those are real. We think those limits about ourselves are factual and real. We get into addictive strategies to feel better with food and drinking and drugging and all the, you know, scrolling on the internet, whatever the things are. And so 
The only thing that really seems to matter to me is, are we capable of change? Is there some conscious process where we can actually affect our unconscious mind? Because our unconscious mind is this thing that's got all these uh, habituations and patterns happening kind of underneath the radar. And so that's what my life process and my discovery and sort of what I've been trying to innovate on ever since. And so I'm really interested in taking the human animal and making them self-aware in a completely different way, which is a fundamental shift in their consciousness, where they can start to see their own limits that are normally invisible to them. And because they're invisible, they feel like they're fact, right? It just feels Mm -hmm. like I'm not good enough, or I'll never have the money, or I'll never do whatever. And so we can go in and actually expose those as ridiculous fictions that aren't true at all and get them repatterned into a way that's way more optimal, way more high functioning, leads them to be way more successful, effective, and happy, you know, ultimately. And so if you take your number one biggest limit away, that's a profound shift. If you take your top three, five, ten, that's an incredible shift. And then if you actually learn the skill so that as anything comes up in life, you can change whatever you want, that's, you know, like a superpower. So yeah. um, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do uh, in a really meta level. If you'd like to talk more specifically, I'm happy to share more about it, but that's what I'm trying yeah, to do. I really would. Um, I'd also love to know before we do talk specifically about that without giving away all your beautiful skill set is when you're talking about those top kind of limiting beliefs that people have, um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there is actually a pattern. And what I'd like to expose here, I guess, is that we are all human and we probably often are all experiencing very similar things, but through different lenses. So are there things mm-hmm. that come up repeatedly with the clients that you work with and the group coaching and the programs that you do that you would say are the top three <laughs> that yeah, happen all I mean, the time? Or is, is it not possible to say that? Absolutely. No, without a doubt. And part of the reason I, I, so I used to do this individually with people. And for the longest time, I had the assumption that it was all too personal to do in front of other people. And then I really, there's, there's a mechanism of social pressure to hold accountable and, and uh, what happens in front of people is different than what happens when we're alone. So I started to really think like, how can I move this into groups? And ultimately, how can I make this a product so people can kind of do it on their own? And what I found is that the most effective way to do this over doing it one-on-one is doing it in a group. And part of the reason for that is we all have these, I'm a unique snowflake. <laughs> but what's happening underneath is is patterned and, and and stacked against the human condition i mean it's we all have money insecurities and fears we all have health and nutrition and body insecurities we all have relationship challenges and we've all got like a self a sense of self that's you know not feeling like it's enough and isn't doesn't know how to be happy it's either too anxious or it's too afraid or it's too whatever so yeah i mean i can I could dissect that into a thousand things in all its uniqueness, but mm-hmm. I, we can also very cleanly group it into a handful of things that we're all looking at. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so it's funny that you use the word lenses because that's a big unique teaching right at the beginning of what I do. And so when I talk about lenses, and I mean literal lenses like I'm wearing glasses right now, right? If we've ever looked through a lens, and that could be a microscope, a telescope, binoculars, glasses, contacts, whatever we know that it alters what we see, right? That's the first function of a lens. It's literally built to change what you see. It could be helpful, could make something more clear, but if you put on all the glasses out there, most likely it's going to be not helpful. Almost all of those are not going to be your prescription, right? So uh, they're built to be, uh, you know, to alter what we see, but there's a second function of a lens that most people don't think about, and that's that they're built to be invisible. They're literally built to be looked through and not considered. And so our thoughts and our personal beliefs about ourselves and about the world and all of that are just like lenses, right? They literally alter what we see. If you take somebody who's got a lens of uh, a, a liberal point of view and you have somebody who's got a conservative point of view, they're very different lenses on the world. They're different, different value systems. They, and that lens literally alters what you see. If you find people in a conservative party, they end up lining up on maybe 12 different issues, like because to join that tribe, they sort of have to take on that lens, et cetera. But like a lens I'm wearing on my face, it's built to be invisible, right? So our beliefs are built to be taken on as though they're true to us. And they may not be true. And that's where we start to get into cognitive errors and delusions and uh, things that really make us uh, less safe, less happy, less effective, you know, as far as if we were to bucket that into limiting beliefs, right? The Mm -hmm. beliefs about ourselves that 
are there to keep us safe and they have a function. But if they're, they're on almost all of us, the volume's too loud on them. So we're playing way smaller than we can play. And mm. so going in and dissecting those, exposing them, and then literally rewriting them, right? There is a way to get your subconscious to repattern, right? There's a way to normalize a new experience because what your unconscious mind is doing, it, we think that we're overall drawn to pleasure and we're here to avoid pain. That's fairly accurate for the conscious mind, right? And we, have, we might have weird strategies on what that pleasure is. To someone, it might look painful. But to us, we're usually trying to make the best conscious option in the moment to feel the best that we can, right? We're trying to emotionally feel better all the time. And we're trying to avoid not feeling good all the time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us make the assumption that that's how our unconscious mind would work also, but it's not at all. Actually, mm -hmm. the unconscious mind is really trying to stay in the familiar. It's trying to do what it knows is not dangerous. And something that we've done before that didn't kill us is on the okay list. And anything new and different is on the not okay list. It's, there's resistance to do these new, challenging, potentially scary things like start a business if you're an employee or give a speech if you've never done that before or you know start investing in bitcoin or whatever the things are where we go i don't know not sure if that's it so to normalize these things that can be incredibly empowering to us like starting a business or investing differently and, and more smartly or whatever we have to get our subconscious kind of on board otherwise we'll just find ourselves habitually going back to scrolling and watching netflix and eating and doing all the things that are just comfortable and familiar to us so you can rewire the unconscious mind. I created something called repatterning. We do something called story recasting. We do some deep shadow work stuff. We do timeline stuff. And through those processes, you can really literally recode the human mind to be way more at ease with things that were foreign and distant and scary just moments before. And how long does this stuff take? I'm oh, sorry, I can't believe I just said stuff. Like, I guess for people listening, I would imagine... I call it stuff all the time. So okay. <laughs> I just feel like that's totally not giving it the impetus that it needs because it's important work, right? Like, this is our lives that we're talking about. Yeah. So, but I guess the question for is how long does the repatterning and the rewiring take if you're going to put in the effort? Because I think the biggest reason why people don't and they just stay stuck in their patterns and their habits and their predisposed thoughts about who they are and their limitations is because it takes effort to make a shift, right? But is it actually easier than we think if we're willing to put in the effort in the right place? Yeah, it's really easy. And I think the assumption, in fact, that almost all coaches, therapists, a lot of people, we as humans, we tend to default to the idea that this is going to take willpower. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is actually very opposite that. Not that willpower isn't useful and using the willpower that you have really effectively is great. Like I'm not against willpower, but it is not the move that actually creates the change. Okay. So an example that I use a lot is, you know, it's New Year's resolution time and thousands of people decide they want to be a runner, right? And almost everybody fails at that. Some people don't even try. A few people buy new shoes and go out a few times. Some people run for a little while, but by February, they've stopped. And then a handful of people actually become runners. And let's say that everybody was using willpower to do that. They were like, I'm going to try this new habit. I don't really want to go, but I'm going to go. To become a runner, there's literally a shift in your sense of self where there's no resistance anymore, okay? Mm -hmm. Where literally you just wake up and you go, oh, I'm a runner. It's time to go running. There's just no, you don't have to stop, right? You've either, mm -hmm. You either are a runner or you're not. If you're not a runner, willpower is what's required to do the thing because it's outside your sense of self, right? So you're like, I have to use my will to fake it, to do this thing that doesn't feel like me and feels new and force myself to do it, which can work. And if you do that enough times, that can repattern the subconscious mind to go, oh, I guess we're a runner, right? Like mm -hmm. if you use willpower enough times, we do that. But number one, that's exhausting. Number two, there's more pulls at our willpower and our sense of decision-making and how do we not flip that guy off in a road rage situation? And then how do I not say the thing I really want to say in the meeting that I've got to use my willpower? Our willpower is just getting drained because we're looking at all the screens and looking here. I mean, all of those things are draining our ability to make decisions and use our willpower and, and focus on what's meant. So it's getting more complex and more difficult. So that's becoming like a less effective way to make change. And we, we end up getting more and more easily patterned into things that maybe aren't the healthiest for us. The opposite side of that is actually going in and changing the identity directly, right? Mm -hmm. Not doing it over time via willpower 
and talking your identity into that by doing some visualizations and some different things that can actually give that sense of self a new identity, all of a sudden you just change, right? So if you imagine a really heavy woman whose identity when we started out was, I'm basically a piece of trash. I never hold my word to myself. I never, I've tried to diet for years and years and years. This has never worked. What happens by noon, she could wake up with every bit of energy to not eat the donut or whatever. And she's all psyched about it. She's made commitments to a coach. She's made commitments to her family, all that stuff. But by noon, she's literally watching it go into her face, even though she doesn't consciously want to. She's like, I don't want to be doing this, but num, 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 num. That's the subconscious going, we're used to eating the donut. We just eat the donut. We went in and changed her into an athlete. And what happens when you're an athlete, even if you're a 100-pound overweight athlete, if you think of yourself as an athlete, that athlete has certain gear, they have certain shoes, they have certain habits, they eat differently, they do different things. So a lot of those behaviors are in the sense of identity that we can actually go in and shift. Mm -hmm. So it's not as much this external thing and something that takes time and willpower. It's way more about changing your self-concept about yourself. And that can be done very, very quickly. So without giving away all the techniques, you mentioned some of them. How do we go about having a fundamental shift? Like if you were to work with uh, me right now without going into a coaching session, what would you suggest that people who are listening can actually do? Is there something that they can do for themselves without your guidance? Are there things that are just available to us that we can do? I noticed you mentioned visualization, which I love and is really powerful. I've used it a lot in competitive sports that I've played but less yeah. so in my own personal and professional life. So I'm really glad you, I know all these tools are there and it's just, again, about using them and using them consistently to actually make shifts. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I've created tools that are free. So there's a thing called back to breath. that's like a little seven day mindfulness challenge that starts to play with your attention and where your attention is and how to move that around. That's crucial because our attention really, I like to say our attention is a place right? And so if we're lost in thought, like our attention is somewhere in thought, we might be lost in the past, feeling guilty or shameful or ruminating. We might be lost in anxiety about the future. But we could also be like, what does my foot feel like? What does my breath feel like? What does it feel like to be full of joy or full of fear or whatever? So the ability to move that around is, is crucial. And there are you know, free tools. Uh, you can go to com and go go join that challenge anytime you want. As far as uh, the visualizations, the the people that work with me, there's a there's so many great ways. And ultimately, what I would do, and and listeners could do this at home. The very first step is to figure out like what are the negative lenses that I'm carrying. Like what mm -hmm. are the negative things that are holding me back. So literally writing out what you think about money. What are all the negative thoughts that you have about money right now that feel anywhere from 100% true to maybe just 1% true. Maybe, maybe you don't fully believe it, but you hear your mind saying it to yourself a lot. Mm -hmm. Write it down anyway, because it's still bad software in the system. It's still something that you might lean on from time to time or whatever. Do that in relationships. Write all the things that you hate about relationships, that you bother about relationships. And then quite honestly, without even a coach, you could yourself go through those and just start to challenge them and go, what if that wasn't true? What could be true instead? What could be different? What would be more useful to think than this, right? Mm -hmm. And just that is potentially, again, this is supposed to be invisible. My glasses don't work if I take them off and I look at the lens, right? It no longer alters yeah. what I see. Right. It no longer is invisible, right? I've, I've disabled it. So the very first step is just becoming aware and challenging these things so that they're not in the background playing out as quote unquote truths, right? Because mm -hmm. if I just, you'll hear it in people's language all the time. They'll say, I'm just not attractive or um, you know, nobody loves me. Nobody's ever loved me. I've always been alone, right? There's these big absolutist statements. There's a lot of identity statements like I am not this or I am horrible at this or whatever those are. We want to challenge those because they're, they're not true, number one. Uh, but let's say they even have evidence, right? Somebody can come to me and say, no, Rob, I really am a loser. Like, you don't get it. I lost in eighth grade. <laughs> I lost all my money. I lost the girlfriend. In fact, I just lost the parking spot I wanted before I got here. Like, I am a loser. And, and so I might say, that's great. Let's even call it true. But it's not useful, right? It just, it's mm -hmm. not like in everywhere that his attention could be, to put it on a story about himself that he's a loser, basically just carries that out of the evidence of the past and plops it right into the present and the future, right? You're just mm -hmm. dragging your past right into so that you're living this very same life over and over and over. And it's become very familiar to you. So your subconscious is fine with it. It's like, this isn't killing us. We're cool. 
it doesn't care as much about happiness or any of that. It's much more interested in survival. So it's free to let it continue. But your conscious mind might be deeply suffering, really unhappy. I hate this about myself. What's going on? And that's why I'm so committed to this work. Because for so many people, it's like we're walking into a wall mm -hmm. and we have no idea how to stop walking into the wall. And it's like, hey man, there's a door right there. Just like go in the door, <laughs> like just move it over a little bit, right? So if we can really change, uh, and we can do it ourselves, if we can change the way that we begin talking to ourselves and challenge the negative things that come up, you're immediately different, right? What if like mm -hmm. you're going on stage to give a speech and you feel really anxious and your inner monologue is, I'm so anxious, I'm so anxious, I'm going to mess this up, it's going to go horribly. What if you just said instead, literally lie to yourself and just say, I'm so excited. I can't believe what a big opportunity this is. This is going to be amazing. Like if those are the words, right? It disconnects how the emotion happens in you and you mm -hmm. can literally shift it right over. Now, obviously we don't want to do parlor tricks, right? There's deeper ways to like really get this into your subconscious so that real self-love occurs, real uh, ending of procrastination, all those things. But a first step is literally to find like, what are my limits? Like, I don't even know what's holding me back just yet. And so the process of talking about those things negatively is a really good way to sort of figure out how you feel about stuff that you might need to start challenging. Yeah, I love that. I love the beautiful analogy of the glasses and taking it off. And when you actually take them off, they're no longer the lens you're looking through and you can look at it yeah. in a different way. Um, Correct. And also I've definitely done that before going on stage sometimes, just like doing the pep talk and, you know, shutting off the negative inner critic, which is not mm. useful, as you said, at all in that moment and focusing instead on how do I want to turn up? How do I want to show up? How do I want these people to feel and putting the emphasis yeah. on the people you're serving versus yeah. all on us. Right. So totally. with that in mind, I know that um, you do talk quite a lot about like a happiness blueprint and how do we actually hack happy. Do you want to speak mm -hmm. to that a little? Cause I think right now, especially with all that's going on in the world, there is a lot of uncertainty and maybe even for the first time in a long time opportunity for people to really make some of these fundamental shifts that you've been working so hard on for 14 years with people yeah, because absolutely. there's so much uncertainty and because people's worldview is being rocked and because everything that they knew is now no, no longer there, you could look at that as, Oh my God, we're all screwed. Or you could look at this as, Oh my gosh, what an opportunity to make some changes and to see things differently and to really, you know, jump into this. So I'm sure you mm -hmm. have something to say on that. I'd love to know kind of first off about how do we find happiness in this moment but also how do we use this particular time in our in our gosh unprecedented time in our lives to make yeah. some fundamental shifts yeah so i think first off hacking happy is a product that i have it's wonderful you can go to hackinghappy.com and go learn more about that it's a great it's name really it's, <laughs> yeah it's really affordable it's a it's a it's a cool thing again not to just pitch my stuff but there's actually a cheaper way to get that and all my other stuff i have a fundamental shift coaching group that you can get a bunch of my products and, and do things like that. Hacking happy, there was a lot in that question because there's the any old time, let's talk about happiness and there's sort of a response to the current pandemic that's going on, you know, as we're recording this. I don't know when this will come out, but, you know, I think that one of the things that we want to understand about happiness is that a lot of us think it comes from a different place. We think it comes from outside ourselves, right? We think it's in the big salary or the way people perceive us or a better job or the right partner or whatever those things are. And what you'll find is if you're not capable of generating your own happiness first, those things may make you feel better in the moment, but none of that will be lasting. None of that will look like fulfillment or real self-love you know, self and pride and, and excitement and joy and all those things. And so if we can learn again what our attention is doing, right? Like where am I leaving my attention? What you'll find is that emotions of any kind aren't a thing in and of themselves, right? Science tells us that there's a cognitive part to an emotion, basically the meaning making or the thinking that you're doing. And then there's a somatic part, which is like how the body actually feels. To manufacture a different emotion or to change a current emotion, if you change either side of that, you don't get the same emotion. You get a different experience. So one thing is getting the capable of moving your attention around, okay? So realizing, wow, somebody just broke my heart. All I'm doing is thinking about them. That's giving me this really heavy feeling here together. That's what I'm calling sadness. And at one sense, it's, it's overwhelming. Like I might actually say an identity statement. I am sad, right? Mm -hmm. I am sadness itself, right? Objectifying that out a little bit and go, I'm feeling sad is a little bit more distance from it, right? That helps and everything. Uh, but if we really want to change it, quite literally change what you're thinking about. Like 
go to the movies, right? Talk to a friend. Um, you know, just, just if you move that, you literally don't have the same experience. What happens is, is we don't really see that in the granular way that that occurs. And as soon as we start thinking about it again, we get sad again and we just have that same report of I'm always unhappy, mm-hmm. right? And we might even get a little payoff out of sharing how unhappy we are. So it becomes a part of our story that we want to amplify out to the world. If, you, if you're in a restaurant and you listen to anybody talking, almost all of them are complaining about something, right? It's, it's my husband's not doing this, my job is doing this, and we're all sharing the challenges that we're being faced with and trying to overcome, which is a really, we're not always just sharing our wins. Obviously, we do that too, but so often it's this critique and this complaint of what's going on. So there's a little bit of a motivation to stick around with it. We might go, wow, that was a significant relationship. I want to be there for a long time. But let's say it's really time to change. We have to move our attention. And if we do that, we get a different experience of an emotion. You actually, in the middle of the worst time of your life, if you watch a funny movie, you could get lost in it and just feel happy while you're watching that movie, right? Mm -hmm. So getting better at moving that stuff around is, is incredibly powerful. The other side of it is changing your somatic experience. And people like Tony Robbins are really big on this, right? If, you, if you're depressed, your body's going to take on a certain somatic structure, right? You're going to have a certain way. Well, if you do this, it's very hard to be depressed. If you put a fake smile on, it's very hard to not actually laugh mm-hmm. soon after that, right? Because it just triggers certain things. Things like getting in a cold shower or doing an ice bath or getting in a sauna. Any of those things can also change an emotion because you're changing the somatic experience of what's happening, even if you can't change your mind too well. So anyway, there's all kinds of little hacks like that. And as I mentioned before, anxiety, anxiety and excitement feel almost identical in the body. They're really just a tingling kind of crazy sensation going here. If you add an anxious thought to it, you will absolutely make it anxiety. If you Mm -hmm. then change it to an exciting thought and say, you know what, I'm just really excited and check in, you go, oh, this is excitement. This is what excitement feels like. And you've literally shifted that emotion. Another little thing about changing emotions is, and I I know I sort of referenced this before, but guilt and shame tend to live in the past, right? Mm. And anxiety and fear tend to live in the future. And so realizing when those things are happening, again, they just feel true to us. It just feels like this is truth. I'm anxious. I might be anxious forever. There's nothing to do about this. There's nothing else. That core skill of challenging what we think might be true at the moment or challenging what our lens might be telling us so that we can see, is there another way to see here? Is there a way that I can move my attention out of the past, get present, be here, maybe instead plan for a better future, which again moves my attention somewhere else, Mm -hmm. right? All of those things give you so much more emotional mastery over your thinking and ultimately mastery over your doing so that you can take action and not procrastinate and do all those things. That course hacking happy covers a lot of that so that you end up at the end with just a whole different tool set to manufacture the kind of feelings that you want. And again, not in a way that's insincere or fake or like a parlor trick. It's sincerely how you process and change emotions healthily. Beautiful. Thank you. That was um, so great. I'm definitely going to link to that in the show notes and your work. It's very important. In fact, it gives me a lot more understanding as to probably about a month ago when I was out walking with the pups, my gorgeous dogs, and I was just in a funk, which I'm not often in, but it was happening a little bit too often for me. It was a grisly day and I was out walking in the park with them and I just felt teary and I was like, what is the matter with you? And I think in that moment, I got so fed up with this funk feeling, which is not my norm, that I just said, just suck it up, princess, which Mm -hmm. came out of nowhere and made me start laughing and see how absurd the situation was and how lucky I was to be out in the park with these gorgeous dogs and, um, you know, the rain on my face, which was actually pretty lovely and all this gratitude that suddenly filled me. And in that instant, like it changed my state and made me laugh. And it's now the subject of my new book. It's, <laughs> I've just decided to call Suck It Up Princess because it made me laugh and it, it changed in that moment. And I think in that moment, I realized I can either just, you know, wallow in it, or I can, as you said, change your state, change your thought, focus on what you yeah. do want. And you can either show yourself compassion or you can kind of go, hey, let's get on here. Life is short. Yeah. Um, I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm probably going to ask you if I can use some of this interview actually to to speak to that in the book, because a lot of it is going to be around procrastination and overwhelm and imposter syndrome, but how do we move out of that? So this is perfect and really timely for me because I'm just about to go into writing it. Yeah, It's Um, It's really funny. Can I speak to some of that? Because that that voice of suck it up is so (laughs) crucial and it's often so welcomed to a human is what even like a lot of therapists will get into this thing where we're going in and we're giving our emotions like too much credit. 
mm-hmm. right? We're giving our emotions because if, if you're really faced with a challenge again, not to sort of casually mention the pandemic, but um, you know, the pandemic now has this ability to really reset things back to what really matters, mm-hmm. right? When in very soft times, we get so overwhelmed with like how everything should go just perfect. And we can get so overwhelmed that our life is this huge suffering but like all that's happening is the data on my internet plan isn't fast enough. And I could just be, you know, like so upset and it's, it's like, Hey man, like suck it up. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I would say very infrequently, will you have a therapist give you a smack like that? Because, and I, you know, I don't know that to be true. That's completely anecdotal, but I, I, my sense, and I've been in a lot of therapy, so I, I could speak to at least some of this. Um, there's this big like honoring of like, oh, that must have hurt when your mom did that. And my goodness, was it tough on Tuesday? Like that sounds so difficult. And, and all we're doing is like honoring those lenses mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying there's not a place for that, right? Understanding and empathy and those things, you know, I'm not, I'm not a sociopath. I, I totally get how painful these things are and we can honor that. But as soon as you get a cancer or as soon as someone you really care about dies, like your priorities will flip so quickly to Mm -hmm. something else. And so that inner ability to say to yourself, hey, suck it up, suck it up, you know, suck it up, buttercup, suck it up, princess, like, (laughs) let's move on is so incredibly useful when times are a little tougher and when times are difficult. And as a coach, when I lovingly and playfully get to say that to a client, like I literally will sometimes in the group setting, somebody's really complaining about something and I'm just like yawning and almost mocking it because we've all gotten enough tools by then to realize that that person is just in a really dramatic, mm. like literally drama, meaning like not very serious. There's nothing really there, but they're very attached to a story that's just so upsetting. And I'm like, who cares? Like that, like <laughs> yeah. suck it up. Like, so yeah. what? Oh, you had a bad Tuesday? I'm so sorry. Like, were you expecting all the days to be amazing? Or like, you know, <laughs> suck it up, right? Yeah. Like it's just let's let's put the the other foot ahead and keep walking like there's more to do here. So that it's a huge superpower to have that. It's a great coaching tool for coaches to use to just be like, let's not take your upset too seriously because other bad stuff can happen too. Yeah. And I mean, to just keep babbling away, you know, with the pandemic, it's very bad. I know a lot of people are dying. I know there's all these things. It could be so much worse. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if we all lost our electricity, you know, think about yeah. what that would add to this problem, right? If the if it wasn't killing just the old and infirmed for the most part, but it was killing our children or our prime adults who are, you mm-hmm. know, producing across the world, all that, you know, this could be so much worse. And so there's a lot of ways to say, let's suck it up. Let's do what we have to do. Let's figure this out and move forward. And uh, it's not the only energy to bring, but it's a really powerful one to bring at times. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. And I think, you know, that as you said, there are times for compassion and empathy, but sometimes we can then wallow too much in that and not mm-hmm. go on to be purposeful and, and serve others, which I think is probably one of the ways that I, one of the tools I use most is when it's all becoming about me, I flip it and go, wait, it's actually about them. So, you know, the minute you place your energies into other people and how you can help them, it's amazing how it, it makes everything immediate in front of mind for you just disappear. I heard you say that twice and it's one of the most powerful tools ever. And I've talked about being, oh yeah, I've been been talking about being anxious about giving a public talk. If you think about an entrepreneur who's worried and suffering and all that stuff, as a coach, it's so easy for me to get worried if I think about me, right? If I think about what our profit is and what my bills are and all, like I can get lost in that and you can get overwhelmed and into inaction. But as soon as I think of the suffering clients that I'm not helping because I'm way too wrapped up, worried about the perfect launch or what our email sequence is doing or all that stuff, all of a sudden it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be perfect. I've just got to be helping. And my own anxiety goes away. I can immediately really function and give the talk or whatever. So a public talk, same thing. When we're worried, we're worried about what are people going to think of me? Am I going to still be popular out of this? Is somebody going to see my voice shaking? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, am I going to be laughed off the stage? Whatever. And as soon as you give that up, connect with what you have to share and think about the person who might receive something, all of that can fall away. And you can just now be in a conversation with the audience about you downsize the whole thing because you've moved your focus over to other. And again, in this pandemic, if we get out of like what the cost is, the social distancing and, oh, it's so difficult to be home. And even the, the genuinely tough ones of people who are financially don't have savings and now they can't go to work. And so there, you know, there's a lot of people who are legitimately struggling from that. But if we can move our focus to others that are suffering and what we do, you immediately move into a purposeful 
mm-hmm. stance instead of a selfish stance, right? And that yeah. uh, that's a huge power move, and it's a it's an incredible tool. So yeah, cool. definitely, and it's a beautiful definitely. place to be, right? It just mm-hmm. immediately puts solutions in front of you versus worry and anxiety. Yeah. So yeah, perfect. Thank you so much for uh, clarifying that, Rob. And I think yeah, okay. Wait, yeah. one last thing. Put those two <laughs> things together. Suck it up, Buttercup, and who can you help, right? Yeah. As one mantra yeah. is is uh is pretty powerful there, right? Perfect. That, I'm that. gonna I'm gonna put it up on my wall actually. Suck it up, princess. There you go. And who are yeah. you serving today? Love it. There you go. Love um it. thank you so much. So I guess just to sort of I mean we could talk for ages here, but I'm mindful of your time and there's other people you have to help and serve. So I guess one thing I'd love to know, honestly, is you've got all these tools, you teach this all the time. Is there anything that continues to trip you up or something that you're working on right now just so that people know this is, you know, part of being human? Is there something that you're working through? Have you pretty much got your stuff together or is it you can call yourself out when you know you're not practicing what you preach? Well, I think I, yeah, I mean, that's a really hard question to answer succinctly. Uh, in a lot of ways, I've, I'm, I'm genuinely, I mean, I'm, I'm deeply happy. I'm doing work that's incredibly purposeful to me. I don't, I don't sit around in fear and worry. I don't get upset or overly angry. Like I'm, I'm a pretty joyful, really connected guy. My business is going great. Like, so lots of things are, are fantastic. I will tell you that I was in a really committed relationship for a while and sort of had the rug pulled out from under me, right? And so had a big heartbreak of, a couple of years ago. And that was uh, personally devastating in a lot of ways. It was very, very difficult. I was madly in love with her son. Uh, mm. You know, so... I'm I'm continually trying to figure out like, you know, where does relationship fit in my life? I'm currently single and live in an apartment, you know, which is all by choice and I'm really, really happy about it and I love it. I'm before the before the quarantine type stuff, I was really enjoying dating and, you know, had somebody else that meant a lot to me recently. Uh, but I play with, you know, what's the best way to relate? Because honestly, that's something we don't fully control. Mm-hmm. Right? One of the one of the moves, another big coaching tip is to bring your focus to what you actually control. Because mm-hmm. a lot of us think about our what, what might be called a circle of concern, right? We're way out in all the things that we're concerned about, but we don't control all those. And that can feel really uneasy and make things difficult. So a solution to that is to focus on what you control. So in my life, I've done a lot of that, right? Deal with my own overwhelm and dysfunctional. Like, what do I control here? Well, I don't have to drink anymore. I can stop doing drugs. I can you know, control my business to whatever degree. But I don't control whether people buy it. So Mm -hmm. like my goals aren't about money goals and all that. They're more about like, how many times am I going to launch and what are we going to do here? And I focus on what I can control. Well, in a relationship, you don't control both sides of that. So you're immediately in a collaboration where the other person isn't their word or they do whatever. You can be in a really tough situation because then you've committed yourself. You're trying to be your word there, but then they've broken contracts or whatever, you know, all that stuff. So that that is difficult. And so Mm -hmm. if there's any area that I'm still interested in or studying or whatever it may be some of that stuff yeah. but i you know if you'd asked me a few years ago i thought i had that one nailed too so you know yeah. I think life keeps coming up to lovingly punch us in the face so we can keep growing <laughs> and uh and you know that's what it is it's problem solution yeah. problem solution problem solution so yeah thank you so much for sharing that i did i just just want to say that because i was curious genuinely and you mm. know i met people who have really worked on themselves got the tools to do it they do practice what they preach they're genuinely happy but i think you just point it out there you know we are human and things will sneak up on us or challenge us for growth and i think we always need to be in a place of curiosity and learning in yeah. order to grow um and be the best version of ourselves so we can turn up yeah. to help others do the same so thank you awesome. this has been a blast i honestly could talk for ages um you mentioned it before but please do let us know where it's best for people to connect with you and reach out and say rob this was amazing um <laughs> yeah so what's the best place and uh, I mean, i'll pop it in the show of- notes there's a lot of websites. There's, I mean, there's just, if you want to know about me and you just want like home base, maybe you want to check out my podcast, whatever, go to robscott.com. If you want to know about identity shifting, go to identityshifting.com. If you want to know about the group, that's probably the most affordable way to get my stuff. Go to fundamentalshift.com and we already mentioned hackhappy.com, but that's included yeah. with the fundamental That is a lot of websites, so, yeah, but I love it. Yeah. curious now. I'm going to dig into the, yeah, I'm sure you have. But, and obviously you're on Instagram and Twitter at, Rob Scott, uh, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Um, some of them, I don't know. They're not them. all. Okay. You know, I'll throw yeah, them all yeah. in the show notes so people can stalk you. Awesome. <laughs> and more importantly, Appreciate hopefully it. take action on all the great work that you do. Um, yeah. yeah. And thank you so much for this. It's been a blast. Do you have any, I don't normally say this, but any parting words or the best piece of advice that you've received that you still use on a daily basis? 
I think that if you can realize that it is always now and you can get better at being in the experience of now with your attention, literally moving your attention at what your senses are literally experiencing right in this moment, you will be happier, calmer, more productive, you know, more focused. Uh, I think we get lost in thought. And so, you know, since I was 19, I've had now where my watch Tattoo. should be. Love it. And yeah, so my my big advice is to get get really comfortable and friendly with now. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much. This has been You're a blast. You're very welcome. Thank you, Natalie. It's been awesome. So I really hope that you got so much out of our conversation, out of my interview with Rob. Come across to nataliesisson.com forward slash podcast for all the deets. In the show notes, I have dropped those many URLs. I have dropped some more links, some of his free resources, and everything you need to know, basically, to make those fundamental shifts. So again, nataliesisson.com forward slash podcast. Just search for episode 60 or Rob Scott. It'll be right there at the top if you're listening to this right now. Another thing is if it excited you about my new book, right now you have an ability to get pre-orders from just as little as $9. There are some amazing rewards. I am running a crowdfunding book campaign, which lasts until only mid-April. So please do jump on board pre-order the book, come along and write your damn book with me. That actually starts on my birthday, which is April 3rd. You can jump in for 60 days. We're going to do live writing experience and I'm going to help you write your damn book while I am writing my damn book. There's access to amazing New York Times bestseller interviews with some of my incredible author friends and there will be live writing calls, live coaching. It's going to be awesome and that is one of the rewards. So if you head across to nataliesisson.com forward slash write, as in W-R-I-T-E, you'll see Write the Damn Book. And if that experience isn't for you right now, or if you want to gift it to somebody else, click on the link anyway, and it will take you through to my Publishizer book campaign where you can select one of the other rewards. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you are making the absolute most of this time, even on the days when you're feeling a little less inclined to jump out of bed. I hope that what Rob and I discussed is going to help you create the shifts and the tools to be able to do that. And if not, you can check out his awesome offers. I'll be back next week, same time, same bat channel. I'm at the bat. Thank you so much for listening in and giving us your attention. Go well and go tap into your potential. 